G'day and welcome to the Bridget and Josh show. I'm Bridget. And I'm Josh. And this is the show where we talk about what we think young Catholics should care about. And this week we're going to talk about the election. The election. We Again, think we still care about still the election. A belated talking about the election. Um, yes. But yes, I got co- yeah, I got COVID. I got really Easter, sick, but not COVID. So. Are you sure? I am pretty sure. I took two rats. Oh well, that's negative. Cool. And I got COVID in January, so. Oh. I know that. Um, I think I did know that. Yeah. Anyway, we're hoping that this will come at a timely time. Timely yeah. time. We're hoping that you still care about the election because it's next week. Yeah. And the clock is ticking. And Less than a week away. Made. So this week, well, when I say week, we're going to, our hope is that we're going to pump out two, mm-hmm. a, a double header, a, a back-to-back special because it is election week. Yeah. So this part one, I guess, of our election week special, we want to talk about um, what are what's some what are some things that as Catholics we might want to be thinking about when we go to the polling booth. And there's a great guide or a help that's going to um, accompany accompany us as we get through this, and that's the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference Election Statement 2022. Yes. Which, Sounds very exciting. Towards a better kind of politics. I like that because I'm sure most Australians would agree we definitely need a better kind of politics. So I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. It comes out every election, well, every election year. um, And it's a really great, I guess, distilling of key issues for Catholics to be considering as they weigh up candidates, as they weigh up parties, as they try and make their decisions to build that better kind of politics that we need. Yeah, and I think, and I guess this will come out as we're talking, but one thing I really love about it is that it's not a you must vote this way and these are the issues that have to be important to you. It's really an offering going, well, here's a few of the issues that have been in the news. These are a few of the, of the different issues that are topical at the moment. And this is something of what the, how the church might approach these. And, and this is a way that we're, as as the bishops, they're saying this is a way that we want to just help to inform you about what are some of our responses as the church um, and how we can draw on Catholic social teaching and the other magisterial teaching in the church to really um, to try and approach these in a way which is going to forward uh, the common good and the dignity of the human person as well. Absolutely. And it's at the end, it's got um, a little bit of a guide to some of the key guiding principles that they used for coming up with this statement so it uses those catholic social teaching principles that we unpacked in an earlier episode but it particularly highlights human dignity the common good subsidiarity and solidarity and it's also got a little prayer for the election if anyone wants to get on that because we will absolutely be needing some prayer for this election and for our leaders as um, it comes to the pointy end Um, it was written by mark coleridge who's the president of the acbc 
Um, but his term has actually just wrapped up. So they had to have their own little election yeah. for a new president. And that new president is Tim Costello. Yeah. He's the Archbishop of Perth. He's a Salesian. First bishop from the West who's ever been the president of the ACBC. Wow. That's great. Mm. I, think that. I think there's only ever been one prime minister of Australia who's from Western Australia, which I think was John Curtin back in the 40s. Wow. There you go. Very interesting. Anyway, that's just my nerdy fact for the day. Love a fun fact from Josh. Well, let's start unpacking some of the key things that they brought up. So they open with a really interesting um, little preamble, and it's definitely worth reading, and then they dive into the issues. If you're, like, reading the actual piece of paper, the key issues that they talk about are in bold, so you can just read those bits if you are really short on time, but it's worth reading the whole thing. Um, But the thing, the issue that they open with is about palliative care and the importance of um, end of life care for people. Yeah, and this is really important because I think at least in New South Wales and I think it's in the ACT as well, there's a whole lot of talk around uh, euthanasia and mm. voluntary assisted dying legislation. Uh, New South Wales, I think the legislation to legalise euthanasia is just passed the parliament in the last week or so. And there's a lot of pressure uh, politically in the ACT, especially around uh, the Senate election, mm. around um, the territory being able to legislate uh, for euthanasia as well. And so this is really topical. Obviously, that's changed in Victoria in the last few years, Queensland and, and WA in South Australia as well. So the bishops have, have really uh, highlighted the fact that, you know, the church is uh, obviously... Uh, not in favour of euthanasia for a whole range of different reasons. Um, But there's one interesting thing that often gets brought up around um, this dichotomy between um, euthanasia and palliative care. And what often is talked about is that we need euthanasia because no one should really uh, be in immense pain at the end of their life. And what that tends to... I guess, sort of communicate implicitly in, in, in that argument is that palliative care kind of doesn't necessarily work. And that's not really the case. And so the bishops are really strong and the church has been really strong in having um, making a lot of adv- advocacy um, to enable there to be high quality, high quality palliative care around the country. Um, and that's accessible to everyone who might be coming to the end of their life. And um you know, and so the, the bishops are really saying that the government should really play a leading role in making sure that this high quality palliative care is actually available yeah. to everyone. Absolutely. And it's such an important point. I, I like that it says um, that the Commonwealth government should play a leading role in ensuring consistently high quality palliative care is available across Australia because it mentions that accessibility, um, if you think about how big Australia is and how diverse we are and how many people are in it. It's really important that people who are vulnerable are able to get that care and that it's accessible for everyone. Um, But it says that that is to ensure that no one is pressured into choosing assisted assisted suicide because palliative care is unavailable because that is no choice at all. And I really like that it highlights that a choice between poor palliative care and assisted suicide isn't really a choice. It's not a free choice that's been made um, and that we need to give people those good quality choices and that includes having high quality palliative care so that way 
um, there can, can be there can be compassion from those really difficult times for families and for people. Yeah, and I think and and what goes into that is making sure that the definition of what palliative care is is actually clearly set and understood across both state and and, and federal jurisdictions, but also that there's funding there that yes. that in the legislation of assisted suicide uh, across uh, the country that palliative care doesn't get sort of thrown out with the bathwater, that it isn't sort of neglected and, and seen as something that's no longer necessary because obviously we know that isn't true um, and that government should really be having high quality uh, or high standards of funding, that there's standards and availability of these services uh, both uh, in the cities but also in r- rural and regional Australia as well, that no matter where you are and no matter what your means are, that even if you're whether you're extremely wealthy or you are you, you're poor or whatever it is that that it's not about what means you have but that mm. everyone gets access to it as a, as a fundamental um, standard uh, across the country to make sure that palliative care is, is available um, and that people can be you know really well well looked after as they come to the end of their life so one of the other key things that they spoke about in a similar vein was aged care, especially in response to the Aged Care Royal Commission that's been happening um, and about how important it is that the funding for aged care goes to raising wages for people who work in aged care because that's essential, but also funding the quality of care that people need and making that accessible as well. Yeah, and I think that's, and this is the interesting thing you see through the pandemic and, and especially as we're in this new stage where um say the fatality rate of from COVID is quite low now, but the the knock-on effects of infection and that sort of stuff are still being felt around staff shortages, um, supply chain issues and all that sort of stuff. And so you're seeing that in in aged care homes and in hospitals as well, that there's there's staff shortages, that there's issues around supply chains and and whatnot, and that's actually impacting the level of care that's available um, in aged care uh, settings, but also in healthcare settings as well. Here in Victoria, there's massive issues around ambulance ramping. That was a massive issue in South Australia. And that's basically where ambulances come. They pick up people and they come to hospital, come to emergency departments, and they just can't get them in because there's what they call bed block accesses. There's literally yeah. that many people in beds in the actual emergency department. They actually can't get people into the hospital and into a hospital bed. Um, and when that happens, you actually see um, preventable deaths increase and all that sort of stuff. And people aren't getting the care they need, whether that's in aged care or it's in emergency emergency departments as well. And so there is a need for there to be sufficient funding across both the aged care sector, but also just across the broader healthcare sector as well. And, and healthcare is a state issue, but there's a lot that, that the federal government can come to bear in things around healthcare funding as well. So. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because then they change gear a bit into something that's definitely in the federal, uh, under the federal powers, and that is about increasing um, the rate of job seeker and so that it meets the poverty line. And so that way um, they can break the cycle of disadvantage, um, which impacts families and children and young people living in poverty. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting. I mean, and, and I, I wonder, because it doesn't feature that much in the statement, and that's in terms of, and that probably has a lot to do with the fact that some of this probably happened as the statement was being published and after afterwards, um, you know, but midway through the, the campaign a few weeks ago, there was this big announcement that, that inflation has had risen by 5.1% in the 12 months to, um, to the start of May or end of April, whatever it was. 
And what that's basically reflects is I think what a lot of people have been noticing when they go out, you know, whether it's when they're trying to buy a house and that, you know, house prices are now 14 times the, the median income rate of people in most major cities and even in, in the regions. But also when you go to, to Woolies and Coles or IGA or Audi, wherever you go, or your bo- boutique supermarket <laughs> at Canberra Village, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, that food price is going up, petrol prices are going up. Yeah, you know, petrol so, crazy. Yeah, there was a really interesting article in the Catholic Weekly the other week about um, these families in southwest Sydney around Carnsteel and Liverpool and, and whatnot, and they were talking about how, you know, that their biggest issue facing them in the election is cost of living issues. Mm. Um, that, you know, for a family of four that might have been able to get by with $200 or $250 of groceries a week, that same shopping basket is costing them $350. Yeah. You know, and so, and that's that's people who are working and add into that the fact of housing, house prices and, and the mortgages people are paying, mortgage stress is going up. Mm. So it's not only... Um, you know, we've got that reality, but also then if you think about, well, what about the people that aren't in employment who um, who are still paying rent, rents going up, you know, and job seeker isn't increasing, you know. So the bishops are saying, well, look, that we live in, we could have this ideal world where, where job seeker could be really high, but why don't we just even just try and get it, the fact that it just meets the poverty line, yeah, you know, yeah. and the fact that it doesn't um, and that it's just not being touched and, and both major parties are now, have um, abandoned commitments to address that, to at least have a review and to seek to increase that. Um, that is something that's of, of grave concern, you know, that we should see this job seeker rate at least uh, meet the poverty line, if not go higher. Absolutely, because the thing about that kind of social security is that it is for the most vulnerable people and they are the ones who need it most and they're the ones who are kind of at greatest risk um, of those cost of living increases and things really hitting hard like some people can weather that more easily than others and so it's really important that we have that holistic approach that isn't that has immediate really that has immediate relief Mm. but also that breaks that cycle of poverty so that way this isn't happening for generations to come it also mentions um, how important it is to have medium and long-term plans for eradicating poverty and homelessness and all of these other really important things that um, I think need, like that that can only really be fixed by having some of those big picture policies happening and impacting people's daily lives. Yeah. And I think that goes to the heart of it, that this is a, you know, this is a demographic of Australia, which voice isn't heard. And it's that, that the voice of this demographic and people in these situations isn't able to be heard and isn't able to be amplified. And, you know, I know growing up in, you know, in Campbelltown, you know, when I was younger, my electorate had the highest rate of public housing in the state of New South Wales. Um, and I was heavily involved in junior rugby league. I refereed footy when I was younger and I'd referee, you know, kids who grew up in Minto and, and Eds and, and Ambervale and Macquarie Fields and, you know, and here are these kids and just, and I'd see them, I'd drive around these suburbs, you know, and, there would just be kids who were just in entrenched, entrenched generational poverty, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so what we have is young people who are really imprisoned in poverty and there's no way for them to get out, you know. And that's, um, that is a crisis, 
you know, because it's just young people just aren't provided the opportunity to have the best life that they can. And there's a whole lot of the stats around in terms of education rates and um, ability of young people in those places to get to university, to have good quality healthcare, life yeah. expectations, all that sort of stuff, you know. So, yeah, I think it's, it is a concern. It's really, um, and sadly, uh, these the people who need the voice most are the ones that often don't have it, which is really, really tragic. So Definitely. I think that was also something really highlighted during kind of lockdowns and that kind of season of the pandemic mm. um, was like something that was definitely highlighted for me was just how different other people's lives are and how difficult it would be for some people to stay in their homes when they have so little and rely so much on external support. Like I was like, oh, you know, I have my nice house with my nice family and I can read my nice books and get my nice puzzles. But if you are someone who relies on the fact that like actually your house is not where you want to be and that getting out, going to work or going to school or going to the library or going to wherever else that you can go is actually essential for your well-being. I mean, it is for all of us, but some people much more than others. Like that, I think, was really highlighted for me during the pandemic, just how important it is for those basics of people's mm. ability to live um, in their homes with their families and for that to be good for them. It just, yeah. Something yeah and, and this is incidental i guess but just if i always found really ironic in the pandemic that those same people are the people who are, are driving the trucks and uh, yes. working in the warehouses and, and and all that sort of stuff that are enable that's enabling society to keep functioning yeah. you know like all you know look at the the massive industrial parks in that those elements those parts of western sydney and west melbourne the places hit most hit hardest um, because they couldn't work from home they couldn't mm. you know do without the income they couldn't you know just sit and bed and sort of eke off their or, or live off their passive income that they get from x amount of investment properties or whatever it is you know yeah. so um yeah anyway but that's just incidental so yeah. changing tact a little bit uh the 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 Statement then goes on and talks a little a little bit about um, discrimination and especially around religious discrimination, that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that they put this in there. Of course, it's a key issue, but it was a really big issue immediately before the election. Like we saw that um, the debate about the religious discrimination bill went into the wee hours of the morning. Um, so I think that's definitely something um to still have on our minds as we approach the election, the impact that that could have. And I think it's really interesting that it talks about um, protection from discrimination and how that's important for religious organisations to be able to um, enact their faith-inspired mission and how um, balancing that the rights that we have and kind of equalising religious discrimination rights um, with the other rights that we have, um, the other discrimination policies and acts that we have about race and sex and age and that kind of thing, um, and making sure that all of these different areas of human life and what it means to be existing in a society are balanced together so that we can have the greatest level of freedom and accessibility for all people. Yeah, and I think what you're touching on, Bridget, really well there is a nuance that's in the church's mm -hmm. position here. I think it can be very dangerous, but also very easy to conflate the church's opinion with the with the strong voices, especially that you might hear in maybe the conservative side of politics that are, that are really um, holding this up as an issue, but also on both sides as well in different ways. 
that the church's mission is actually really nuanced. You know, mm. the church isn't saying, you know, you know what the church would say would be very different to what an Israel Falau or or even uh, some of these other sort of, you know, even what the Australian Christian lobby would say in this area, that the church's mission is nuanced. Um, and I think that's really important. And to be at, for us to be able to hold that nuance and not to, I guess, give in to the temptation to, to see it in, in a very black and white way or to fall into this perpetual sort of back and forth of straw man arguments on both sides, Absolutely. to be able to go, okay, well, this is actually a really complex topic and, you know, and it doesn't matter. And you know, there will be there will be people listening to this who would, even as they form their own consciousness on this, that they would have different that that they would differ slightly on maybe say what the church actually would say. But just the I think the importance of recognizing that the church's vision here is actually nuanced, um, and we can't just assume what the church thinks is going to be the same as what we might hear from, um, you know, from different politicians of different stripes in different parts of the country as well. Absolutely, and it's important to have that balance of like loud voices often say things that are sharp and sharp and easy to amplify but you need to be engaging in the longer discussion and the more the more nuanced discussion in order to actually um, understand the issues and understand the implications of issues like this would be something that impacts many areas of different um, policies and different areas of our lives and so it can't be something that just is put on a sign or put on a banner or tweeted basically yeah to be something that is um well discerned in its impacts both of the religious and political life yeah and even the the reality of actually making sure that we're listening you know that we're actually listening to people who uh, have really strong beliefs on this sort of stuff because this a lot of this stuff can get to really core critical issues at the heart of how people experience life and the importance that primarily we need to encounter them as people um, and really hear from them and listen to what they have to say and realise that, you know, often they might not even agree, they, they often won't agree with us. Um, but that's not the end of the world. Um, it can be hard to remember that myself personally sometimes when people don't agree with me, it doesn't mean they hate me or anything like that. But how can we actually, um, yeah, just really at least accompany those in our lives as well who to, for whom this is a complex area as well. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said, Josh. Um, the next thing that they unpack is about schools. Catholic mm. schools are obviously a really important part of what it means to be Catholic in Australia and part of our Catholic identity. And also they're really essential to the way that we are Catholic in the world and in society in Australia. So um, the key thing that they bring up is just that ensuring that Catholic schools and any school really can be a choice um, for families and for all families, especially those who are disadvantaged and those who would be really at the heart of the mission of the Catholic Church. Um, they also talk about how it would be important for Catholic schools to have funding for national priorities, such as Closing the Gap, which um, is about Indigenous Australians and student mental health initiatives. Um, Catholic school funding is a big and complicated issue that mm. we could unpack at a later date. But um, I think the key thing here is not necessarily about the amount of funding but is about how that funding is used and how schools have access to it so that way it can have the greatest impact for those who are in greatest need yeah no for sure i think that's really important as well and even the fact there that the allusions to the importance of closing the gap as well you know that's again 
the st- Uluru Statement from the heart and all that sort of stuff is topical. There's a lot of talk about that, um, you know, moving towards a constitution, a, a referendum on constitutional reg- of recognition and, and a voice to parliament and that sort of stuff. And again, that's an issue that, you know, the bishops have come out in support of the Statement from the heart and they've reaffirmed that in uh, this statement. Um, yeah. And so that's something that would be really interesting and is really important, I think, as we move to, forward together, mm. um, you know, as a nation, what that looks like and how that develops in the next term of parliament as well. I love that it says that constitutional recognition and active steps towards reconciliation are fundamental moral issues because it means that it's not just something that's happening out there on you know the public stage. It's a moral issue for Catholics individually. Like I have to make moral choices mm-hmm. about advancing reconciliation and that's um, something that is really important to me but it's also something that should be essential to the way that we move through the world as catholics um, because listening to experiences of first nations australians is so essential in a forming in informing that moral conscience and the moral actions that we take in order to advance reconciliation um, and yeah the Uluru statement from the heart is a big part of that and so i'm really glad that um, the acbc has endorsed that and has listened to the voices of some of those first Australians who have spoken to the church and have worked with the church for about how we can, as Catholics, live reconciliation and live it well. Yeah, and I think when JP2 came uh, to Australia in the 80s and he went out to um, Central Australia and he, and he said famously that, you know, the church in Australia won't be um, all that it could be until Indigenous Australians are at the heart and have taken their place in the church. And the, re- the sad reality is that we're not there yet. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping, hopefully uh, maybe in the future we can actually be able to break some of this open and, and even have someone from NatSeq or someone to come onto the show and, and talk to us a bit more about this. But Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it's, um, I think it's really important as we go forward that, um, you know, we don't just think, oh, well, the apology happened back in 2008 and it's all done now, whereas that mm. was really in the beginning. Um, and we've still got a, lot, a long way to go to close the gap um, and to really, um, you know, that these do remain, as you were saying, fundamental moral issues. Um, the next thing is they talk, they talk about um, refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and that is something that we often talk about every election, sadly, Refugees and asylum seekers become a political football, and that's true in this election, sadly. Um, but what do the bishops have to say about that, Bridget? They um, talk really clearly about this issue and about how um, important it is for our governments to be um, kind, basically. Like they just like respect the human dignity of people who are at such great risk and who are forced to flee to protect their lives. Um, And it says really explicitly whether or not they fit legal definitions of refugee or not, people should be able to um, be protected. It also says really clearly that we need a just, humane and timely system for assessing claims for asylum. And those are things that successive governments and successive elections have not brought a lot of change in. And I find that really disappointing. And it's also something that um, I think neither of the major parties do well and that we could definitely all be doing better on. And I know that it's a complicated issue and that it can be easy to be like, uh, just let people live or whatever. (laughs) And that it, you know, then takes some of that nuance to look at bigger picture things. But I think as we look at 
the world and um, it says specifically, it, it talks broadly about how important it is for um, us to be protecting people and to be a part of a global community and a global family that is mm. taking care of each other. But it also specifically talks about um, Afghanistan and Ukraine and how important it is for us to have our eyes open to the way that international events impact Australia and what we can be doing for our global family um, to protect them and to take care of them when we are able to. Yeah, and I think that, and you're, and I think again, this is another area where it's really nuanced um, and it isn't easy. Mm. Um, I've spent a bit of time at uni studying this and trying to and thinking about, and I was it's more in my Liberal Party days, so we won't talk about that. But um, but just realizing how how difficult it was, and that was in the time of the Malaysian solution and all that mm. sort of stuff. Um, you know, so it is really nuanced. Um, but I don't think that nuance is well served when the major parties um, are in this infinite race to the bottom when it comes to this and a race of the bomb that's built on lies and misinformation and a utilisation of, of people suffering for the sake of political point scoring um, in a way which seems increasingly um, increasingly out of step of what most Australians think mm. on this issue, um, you know, and that's, and that's something that's been really disappointing. Um, you know, just the other day, um, Christina Keneally put out a whole thing around um, the fact that, well, we people who are put in immigration centres should have to pay for their own detention because they they might have you know because they they committed crimes uh, before they came to Australia, and that's just completely out of step in mm. what the church would say. Um, and it's really disappointing that someone who's a says they're a practicing Catholic um, is the person sprouting that, and, and it's true on both sides. I'm not really just to focus on that, but you know, it's really disappointing that there is this race to the bottom, um, and that most major parties are really out of step. Of, of what the church has to say around how we can protect human dignity, even in the really nuanced way that that could be approached. So anyway, Absolutely. yeah. And it is really important um, that our political parties are actually reflecting what people believe. Like I went to a Senate debate, uh, like a Senate conversation or something. I don't think they called it a debate, but, a, you know, a panel of some of the Senate candidates for the ACT. It was super interesting, but, one of the issues that did come up was about asylum seekers and refugees. And um, it was clear that um, some of the candidates were just not on the same page as the people who were there, as the audience who was there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just really important that that represents mm -hmm. what people actually believe. And again, the Bishop's statement says that this is a moral issue and that mm -hmm. um, people who are forced to flee have a moral claim on our assistance. Like it is part of our moral conscience to be assisting those who are in need. So that's an important thing to be looking at as we make yeah. big picture decisions. And maybe the last thing we might touch on um, is just uh, something around um, what the Bishop's Conference call an integral ecology. Yes, this I find really interesting. Um, I've done a little bit of reading about the idea of an integral ecology and what that actually means, but um, it's really, it's about how we can be reshaping society basically to be away from something that is so economically driven and instead is about a holistic vision for the future, for living well and for um, working together to build a better society. Um, it does specifically mention like our um, natural resources and that kind of thing. Um, but it's about more than just 
saving trees. It's about how people are taken care of together on this earth that God has given us. And that is really important because we can't live without the world continuing to live and without the earth continuing to live. And it it talks about how we can't just be having economic bottom lines for stuff, how we need to be looking at what it means to care for one another and how that can be a long-term vision um, about our community and like reorienting our communities and our societies to be around caring for one another and caring for the planet and caring for our society instead of about economic bottom lines and about making money basically yeah and i think that's the reality you know that that people come first not mm. not money you know as, as yeah. you just said and that's and it and this is really picking up on something that both you know i guess came to prominence through laudato c and pope francis's work there in that encyclical but it's also he really is just developing what what benedict the 16th had started to really develop in the in the latter years of his pontificate that he'd really started to talk a lot about this integral ecology that as we um as we continue to live as a global community and as we move forward how are we actually doing exactly what you're saying how are we basically providing and having a structure of society which is uh, for the betterment of all human beings that cares for the environment um, and cares for the earth that god's given us that we're good stewards of the earth that we're not simply coming in and reaping and, and reaping and, and, and stripping mm. it bare um you know how are we actually working together as a community as a global community and it's really and that builds on i guess what francis and benedict have been talking about for well probably 15 years now um yeah yeah and it's um it is also quite specific in saying that we need to do better in our 2030 carbon emissions targets that we need to do better for our paris agreement stuff we need to be doing better to be working towards what our like scientific consensus is about the impact of global warming and of other um, areas of climate change and of how we care for the planet. Um, and because we see that in Australia on a daily basis, we see the impacts of floods, of fires, of pollution, of um, all of these different areas and um, the impact that has on people and on the planet. So they're very clear about um, how we should be weighing up um these issues there you go so that's that's a very brief bit of a whirlwind run through of the statement i think we're gonna we'll probably put a link um to this statement on our social media and that sort of stuff absolutely for you to get access to me i think we'll probably even share the prayer and some of that sort of stuff on our socials but we just thought in terms of a few things just to finish up with um i i really liked in the first paragraph in that in where it talks about the bishops say, it says, as we offer this statement, we acknowledge that no one political party fully embodies Catholic social teaching. Nevertheless, we offer this statement to encourage Catholics and people of goodwill to reflect on the good they can do for their community by using their voice for the good of all, using their vote for the well, we use your voice too, but using their yeah. vote for the good of all. And I think this touches onto something that we've spoken about before, and you probably may have picked up as you went through um, each of these issues that, different things that the bishops highlighted would fit into different platforms of what the mm. different parties stand for. And that's something that we're really strong on, on the Bridges and Josh show, is that there is no one Catholic party. And that probably in one sense makes voting a little bit more stressful and challenging, but it also means that you have the freedom to actually really to be able to, to discern and to use your conscience well 
And and just remember that, you know, you don't, some people might say, well, if you're Catholic, you have to vote for this party, or if you're Catholic, you can't vote for that party. But really that you have the option to really get into, you know, get and do some research and look at the party platforms and look at some of their election material and go, okay, well, how do what the parties say, how does this fit in with, uh, with what the church believes and what I believe as a Catholic? And it's like I think we've said before on the podcast that, for us as Catholics, the economy isn't the bottom line. The, um, you know, progressive issues or, you know, that sort of stuff isn't the bottom line. The bottom line is um, is Jesus and the bottom line is love. And that's the, the gospel that we live and we seek to allow that gospel to, I guess, permeate into the, the world we live in. And that's really important. Absolutely. And some ways that I would kind of practically use this statement and use that um, weighing up of love as the bottom line would be to see if like candidates are actually speaking about any of these issues um we didn't go into it but like right at the end it mentioned stuff about like australia's modern slavery act and preventing modern slavery and i just was like huh i never think about that i know that that's an issue but i never think about it i don't think that has been brought up at all during the election like are people actually talking about the things that um we need to be caring about are they talking about um you know job seeker are they talking about housing insecurity are they talking about the Uluru statement from the heart are they talking about school funding like it are the people that you're weighing up in your voting process are they actually talking about it and then what are they saying how does that align with your values and the things that you think governments should be doing because of course you know in our catholic beliefs there's so much of our holistic life that is encompassed in our catholic beliefs and this part of, you know, being a social person in the world and the impact that politics has is just one tiny wedge of it. Um, but I like weighing up, you know, what does, you know, for what governments do, what do I need them to do well and how does that align with my values? Um, because the end goal might be the same, but the process might be different. And like you're saying, and like the bishops have said, there is no one tick box everyone gets a go party Um, it just is uh, tricky and that's part of the wrestling and part of what it means to be a catholic in the world Um, but this is just one tool that you can use to try and do that well and if you're down the shops and you see the candidate just ask them if you you see someone in 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 church with with, even if you're on a go to vote on on saturday or if you go to pre-poll just ask them say look this is really important to me you know what what do you what do you what do you, where do you stand on this what do you have mm. to say and if it's a volunteer that might not know anything that's okay you know, often volunteers right. are just getting into politics and they're having a go and whatever but if you get a chance to chat with a candidate you know i mean here in chisholm it's um you know there's a labor minister a labor shadow minister a day and around here i just see it on social media tangents <laughs> here one day and then pennies here and all that sort of stuff right so if, if you see a politician ask them say look I'm, I'm trying to figure out who to vote for but this is really important to me you mm. know what do you have to say and just see what happens Absolutely. That's part of the engagement process. Part of it is that you are making your voice heard quite literally by being like, hello, this is important to me. Thoughts? Um, And so, yeah, don't be afraid to do it. That's literally their job is to tell you about what they care about and what they believe in. Um, And if you do it, ask for a selfie, put it up on Instagram and tag the Bridget and Josh show so we can see (laughs) see what you're doing. That would be amazing. (laughs) I would love to see it. How good. Just what we might finish on then is I something that this statement mentions a couple of times at, at the beginning. They quote Pope Francis from Fratelli Tutti um, number 154, and that was Fratelli Tutti was 
pardon my poor Italian, but that was the statement, the apostolic exhortation that Pope Francis put out uh, on on sort of communication and how to live in society and that sort of stuff in the, at the start of the pandemic in 2020 at some, or oh, maybe it was in October, sometime in 2020. Yeah. Um, it remains our hope to break it open one day uh, when we get there. But um, but suffice to say, just wanted to, to touch into this quote. They say, well, we all long for what Pope Francis calls a better kind of politics one truly at the service of the common good for all Australians. The old Australians bit was the bishops. The Pope Francis didn't say that, but maybe he did, <laughs> who knows. But I'm sure he was thinking of us. But there is a sense, I mean, I, I feel, and I, it's true for me, that we all kind of want a better politics. There's a whole lot of apathy and um, uh, disillusionment with politics a lot of the time, and that, if we're honest, our political leaders probably could do a whole lot better. So there is this desire for a better for a better politics. Um and a better politics, which is at the service of the common good, and that's really vital to us as Catholics, that we don't just want to look after the, the greater good, but it's the common good, the good for all people, uh, good which re- which respects the dignity of the human person and stands in solidarity, especially with those who are poor and who are marginalised and who don't have a voice. But there's a good example of this that I saw uh, in some of the snippets of the, the last debate they had between Alvo and ScoMo, uh, on Channel 7, Mark Riley, who's their political um, chief political reporter, I think is his title, but he was hosting the debate and he sort of stopped at one point and said, okay, well, we've done talked about all this other stuff and I know you guys probably don't like each other, but I want you to say one thing that you you admire about the other person. That's cute. And so off they went. ScoMo went first and talked a bit about Albo and his upbringing and, and his resilience um, and the fact that he's he's come from disadvantage and, and he really stands on the values he believes in. And then Albo did the same thing, talking a little bit about um, Scomo's love for, for his country and that he takes his role as prime minister seriously, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing I, I noticed when I was watching that clip is when one of the, when the leader, say Albo was talking about Scomo and vice versa, the other leader, they couldn't help but smile. Mm. And I think they kind of, you could see them trying to hold it back, but they couldn't help but smile when the other person would say something good about them. And for me, there was something kind of almost beautiful in that, that we can have different ideas and we have different things that are really important to us. And that's true for people even within the church, let alone across broader society. But what that highlighted for me is that there's something of that civility that's been lost in politics. And that's and we're all poorer for that. That if we can recognise that people are actually mostly in politics for the for the right reasons. Some people aren't. That's just human nature, I suppose. But but that was just a little glimpse of what a better politics might look like. You know, a politics of understanding and of encountering the other person. And, and maybe that's my hope as you go into this election that we might be moving closer to um, to that better politics. Absolutely. It's kind of, it's politics with a human touch and with a human face to it. Um, The bishops wrap up their statement by saying, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to use our votes and our voices to realise this better politics. And I love that because it's so empowering because better politics doesn't just happen. We make it happen. And the way that we interact with each other, the way we talk about politics and the way that we engage in politics is how that better kind of politics happens when we make love the bottom line and make um, what will be best for people 
bottom line. Yeah. So that's probably it for our part one of our two-part election special. So um, hope that's sort of been helpful. Um, I mean, I, I found it really cool. Just, I, learned, I learned a bit just reading through this. Name. It's only four pages. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, and really, if that, that it's only really two. Like yeah. The um, solidarity stuff. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely take a look at it. It's a really good read. It's quite articulate but also isn't too wordy. Yeah. Um, worth, well worth reading as you prep for your election day yeah so uh, thanks for joining us um and yeah we'll be back maybe you can listen to this back to back or you know sometime before hopefully listen to the next one sometime before saturday but we'll we'll be back with part two uh, but until then we'll uh, we'll see you soon see you later